At the Canaan Church, our mission is bringing people to Christ and helping every person to become a mature disciple in Christ. Canaan Christian Church, where people dare to dream. We are studying from the book of Zechariah, the Old Testament records, the book of Zechariah, a minor prophet with a major message. And we are talking about disciples of Christ and what it means to be a disciple of Christ. And so we're still putting that focus on us being, not just talking, but being, not just talking, but doing. We are disciples of Christ. And we're looking today at Zechariah chapter 2, and I'm going to read this chapter in its entirety so that you can catch the full revelation that God is depositing into our lives today. Zechariah chapter 2, beginning with the first verse. Then I raised my eyes and looked, and behold, a man with a measuring line in his hand. So I said, where are you going? And he said to me to measure Jerusalem to see what is its width and what is its length. And there was the angel who talked with me going out and another angel was coming out to meet him who said to him, run, speak to this young man saying, Jerusalem shall be inhabited as towns without walls because of the multitude of men and livestock in it. For I, says the Lord, will be a wall of fire all around her, and I will be the glory in her midst. Up, up, flee from the land of the north, says the Lord, for I have spread you abroad like the four winds of heaven, says the Lord. Up, Zion, Escape, you who dwell with the daughter of Babylon. For thus says the Lord of hosts, He sent me after glory to the nations which plunder you. For he who touches you touches the apple of his eye. For surely I will shake my hand against them, and they shall become spoil for their servants. Then you will know that the Lord of hosts has sent me. Sing and rejoice, O daughter of Zion, for behold, I am coming, and I will dwell in your midst, says the Lord. Many nations shall be joined to the Lord in that day, and they shall become my people, and I will dwell in your midst. Then you will know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you, and the Lord will take possession of Judah as his inheritance in the Holy Land and will again choose Jerusalem. Be silent, all flesh, before the Lord, for he is aroused from his holy habitation. Amen. The book of, of Zechariah is an amazing book of the Bible to read and to study because it enables us to see the big picture of God. Let me say that again, that the book of Zechariah is an amazing book of the Bible to study because it is an Old Testament book that helps us to see the big picture of God. 
When you study the book of Zechariah, there is a twofold revelation that is presented to us. On one hand, Zechariah is speaking to us about a historical event that took place in the life of the nation of Israel, a people who had been in captivity in the land of the Chaldeans, who had been slaves in Babylon, had been allowed by the grace of God to return back to Jerusalem as a remnant of people who would then have the challenge and the charge to rebuild Jerusalem and to rebuild the temple of God. So Zechariah speaks to us about this remnant that had come back to Jerusalem when Darius was the king of Persia and Zerubbabel was the governor. It was a historical explanation of what took place at this time in the life of the nation. Zechariah and Haggai were what you would call post-exilic prophets. They were the prophets who ministered to the people of God after they were, had been allowed to come out of captivity in Babylon. But on the other hand, when you study the book of Zechariah, not only is it speaking to us about a historical context of the nation of Israel, but it has given us a much broader picture because it is speaking to us about a coming Messiah who will come to us one day in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. But the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ is reminding us of God's big picture. That God has a purpose, God has a plan, God has a will that he is working out in the world as God is taking the initiative to bring a broken and bruised humanity back to him. That God will take the initiative to send his son into the world one day so that a sinful people will be able to be redeemed and reconciled in their relationship with God. We, 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 we understand this big picture as the kingdom of God. The big picture that the Bible presents to us has to do with the establishment and the expansion of the kingdom of God in the earth realm. Let me say it again, that the big picture of the Bible has to do with the establishment and the expansion of the kingdom of God in the earth realm. When you read the book of Genesis, you read the fact that God created humankind in his image and in his likeness, and then gave them the opportunity to live and the place of dominion and all of the other parts of the created order would be under their charge. But things changed in the book of Genesis in chapter 3 when Adam and Eve disobeyed God. And because of disobedience, then they found themselves in a fallen predicament. Obedience brings blessings, but disobedience brings curses. So Adam and Eve are then going to be kicked out of the Garden of Eden. 
But when God has to discipline mankind, when God has to punish mankind because of the issue of sin, God says, even then, I'm not going to give up on what I made. So the first prophetic utterance that God will send a Savior into the world one day who will erase and eradicate our errors was given not by one of the major prophets, but it was given by God. And then as you continue to read in the book of Genesis, God has a covenant that he establishes with Noah so that after he has destroyed the world because of the wickedness of mankind, God is going to then have a remnant. He's still going to save Noah and his family and repopulate the earth. So you have the covenant with Noah. Then God calls Abraham and says that I'm going to make your name great and I will make you the father of a great nation and through your seed shall all families of the earth be blessed. It is this covenant with Abraham. The covenant is expanded so that the covenant becomes a part of a covenant with the patriarchal fathers of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And then we see the covenant showing up again with Moses and with the nation of Israel. And then we see the covenant with David. So now this, this initiative of God and his kingdom is flowing all through the Old Testament. And when you come to the New Testament in the fullness of time, Jesus Christ comes into the world. So when you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Jesus comes preaching about the kingdom of God. He did not come preaching church. He came preaching about the kingdom of God. And it would be this vision of the kingdom of God that would be entrusted to the church. And when Jesus says to the church on the other side of his resurrection to go into all the world and make disciples of every nation, he's talking about the establishment of the kingdom and the expansion of the kingdom. In the book of Acts, when we read that Jesus says to the early church, go tarry in Jerusalem and after the Holy Spirit has come upon you, you shall receive power and you shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria and unto the uttermost parts of the world. This is about the kingdom. When you keep reading the book of Acts, it says concerning the early church that by the time they got to Thessalonica, it was said these who turned the world upside down have come hither also. The kingdom of God is being extended the kingdom of God is expanding. And when you read the epistles, the epistles are letters written to churches for the most part and then to a few individuals helping us to continue to understand the principles of God because when you understand the principles of God, you have every reason to expect and anticipate the promises of God being fulfilled in your life and through your life so that as the people of God, we can be a blessing to the nations. We have been saved. We have been called to be transformed nonconformists. You and I have been saved not just to be churchy. You and I have been saved not just to attend a worship experience on Sunday. You and I have not been saved just to be religious but you and I have been saved to be God's representatives in the earth realm. We have been saved to be God's ambassadors in the world.
world. We have been saved to help change and transform the world in which we live. And at the end of the day, it means that the kingdom of God is moving forward. So when you study the book of Zechariah in the Old Testament record, it's a minor prophet with a major message who is helping us to understand what is happening in the world as we, as the people of God, as we, as believers in Christ, are now participating with God, with God's move in the world. That we are participants with God, and God allows us to have insight, to have revelation, to have understanding as to how this move is going forward in the world. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Now, Zechariah, he's going to have visions given to him by God. He gets visions. He gets revelation. He, gives in, he gets insight. He has eight dreams in one night. Eight dreams in one night. And so now we're going to look at this uh, fourth or this third vision that God is giving to him. Uh, in this uh, night of visions. And uh, so in, in chapter 2, we see this next vision of the measuring line. Now, this is one vision, but it's followed with three oracles. One vision, but there are three oracles that follow. When we read verses uh, 2 through uh, 5, uh, that's the vision. But then when we pick up with verse 6 and following, there are going to be three oracles that give further explanation and speaks to us about the ramifications and the implications of the vision. The vision is that Zechariah says that he looked and behold, there was a man with a measuring line in his hand. And the question is raised, where are you going? So the man says that he was going to measure Jerusalem to see what is its width and what is its length. Now, while one angel is talking to Zechariah, another angel comes and says that go meet the young man and run to him and speak to him and tell him Jerusalem shall be inhabited as towns without without walls because of the multitude of men and livestock in it. For I, says the Lord, will be a wall of fire all around her and I will be the glory in her midst. So that's the vision. The vision is a young man who is going about with a measuring line, that is, he is a surveyor, and he's measuring the width of Jerusalem, and he's measuring the length of Jerusalem. The initiative that the young man is taking to measure Jerusalem is that he wants to uh, see that a wall is built around Jerusalem. He wants the wall to be rebuilt around the holy city. And he's not being reprimanded in what he is told uh, because the sense is that uh, he must be commended for the initiative that he is taking. Because if Jerusalem is going to be rebuilt, 
if the temple is going to be rebuilt, then it would make sense that the first thing in order would be is to rebuild the walls around the city. The walls being rebuilt around the city would be for the protection of Jerusalem because you will read later on in the book of Nehemiah that when Nehemiah and the people were rebuilding the walls at that time, there were other people like Tobiah and Geshem and others who came and tried to discourage them in the rebuilding of the walls. They said if they rebuild the walls that a fox could climb up and tear it down. So we knew, we know that there would be those who would try to distract, who would try to defeat and keep Israel from rebuilding the walls around the holy city. So this young man's initiative to rebuild the walls around the city would make sense when you look at it from a practical and theoretical disposition. But the vision given was to say to this young man that God says that uh, rebuilding the walls right now will not be the priority. The, prior the priority right now is to go ahead and rebuild the temple. Now, there is a, a stark contrast between the beginning of chapter 2 and the ending of chapter 2. There is a stark contrast between the opening of chapter 2 and the closing of chapter 2. Because chapter 2 opens with this young man who is going about with a measuring line and he is measuring Jerusalem to see what is its width and what is its length. But when you look at the closing of chapter 2, the last verse in chapter 2, verse 13 says, Be silent, all flesh, before the Lord, for he is aroused from his holy habitation. So the chapter opens with this initiative that's going to be taken by this young man, but the chapter closes by saying, hold up, be still, wait, God says, because he is aroused in his holy habitation. It is a reminder to us as the people of God that we cannot get ahead of God. It doesn't matter how well intended you meant to be. Is that our calling is not to outrun God. Our calling is not to get ahead of God. Our calling is to follow God by faith. We need to do God's work God's way according to God's will. I just said something that ought to make you want to holler. I said we need to do God's work God's way according to God's will. I'm going to give you one more chance to scream. I said we need to do God's work, God's way and according to God's will. I wish I had three people here who understands that God has a timeline. He's got a timeline. He's never too early. He's never too late. But he's right on time. God's got a timeline. And we need to move according to his timing. We not only need to move according to his timing. But we need to move according to his way. 
And sometimes you have to admit his way sometimes may not seem to make sense to you and I. But God says my ways are not according to your ways and my thoughts are above your thoughts. So whether we understand his way or not doesn't really matter because we walk by faith and not by sight. And the Bible says that obedience is better than sacrifice. So we got to do what God says do God's way when we understand what he says. We got to do it God's way when God says it when we don't understand what God is doing. For example, you remember when, jo when Joshua is leading Israel to a conquer Jericho, right? Well, you would think that if you're going to war to conquer a city like Jericho, you're going to do it with swords and with spears. But God says you ain't going to lift a sword and you ain't going to use a spear. What I want you to do is I want you to have the priest to go before the Ark of the Covenant and then at my command, I want you to go and march around Jericho seven days and on the seventh day seven times and then shout and the walls will come tumbling down. Now you know that if you are a military person that is really not the normal strategy if you gonna conquer a city. But it was God's way to do it and because Joshua and the people of Israel obeyed God's command they got the victory at Jericho Sometimes you and I are trying to do things according to our flesh. But God wants to remind us that your warfare is not of the flesh. It's against principalities and powers and wickedness and high places. So our army is not fleshly but, but, but for pulling down strongholds. It's not carnal but it is spiritual. And so we have to do it God's way. And sometimes God says the way you're going to get to victory is you're going to shout your walls down you're going to praise your way through your victory and so God is saying to Zechariah he's saying to Israel is that I'm going to do this in a way that may not make sense to you but you're going to see my glory being manifested so God says to this young man and he was saying to Zechariah to say to Israel that we're not going to start out rebuilding the walls at first somebody would have thought let's be rebuild the walls but he says, no, God says, rebuild the temple. He says that I, the Lord, will be a fire all around Jerusalem. I will be the wall until I tell you to build a wall up. I will protect my people. I will cover you. I will take care of you. I will be your refuge. You build the temple. You do what I said do when I say do it. And I'll take care of your enemies and I'll make sure that my my will is being worked out in the earth realm. God wants you and I today who are his representatives is to trust him for the victory. You cannot walk in God's will. You cannot keep God's word and then think you ain't going to have some conflict. No, the demonic, the devil is always trying to discourage us. He's always trying to distract us. He's always trying to defeat us. But have I got anybody that knows that if God is for you, who can can be against you. And when you know that the, that the God is your refuge and a very 
present help in a time of trouble, then you don't worry about the enemies. You just keep your eye on Jesus. Keep your eye on the bright and the morning star and watch God work it out. Now, that is the vision. Now, the vision then gets amplified with the oracles concerning the vision. Now, God is saying, he's saying that all of those who had been scattered abroad, that they are to make their way back to the holy city of Jerusalem. Those who were still in Babylon, who had been a part of the captured crew, God says, make your way back back to the holy city of Jerusalem. Those who had been scattered in other parts of the world who had been a part of the nation of Israel. Some had been scattered when the Assyrians came against northern Israel. Some had been scattered when the when the uh, when Edom came against Israel. Some had been scattered for various reasons, but God is saying, "Make your way back to the city of Jerusalem because Jerusalem is Mount Zion. Jerusalem is where the temple of God is. Jerusalem is where the glory of God is going to be manifested. And being part of Jerusalem is significant because it speaks of your identification with God and with the people of God. So there's a reason why we say to people that you need to be a part of the church of the living God because the church as quiet as is kept is a representation of the new Jerusalem the church of God is the representation of the temple of God it is the house of God and it is not just the physical building but the building is the place that has been set aside and dedicated for the worship of God but the church that gathers in the building Oh, somebody hear me today. The church that gathers, are y'all listening? Those of you virtually, don't miss it. The church that gathers in the building, it becomes God's picture of what it means to be a part of the kingdom of God. Don't lose sight that there's something the Bible is teaching us, is teaching us about the kingdom of God, and the kingdom of God is still moving because God is still moving. God is not stagnated and God when he saves you, he calls you to be a part of the household of faith, to be a part of the church of the living God, which means now you are a citizen of the kingdom of God. When you are a citizen of the kingdom of God, you don't try to live like a long ranger. When you are a citizen of God, you don't put yourself in ice when you are a citizen God, you don't talk about the privatization of religion. When you are a citizen God, you don't talk such foolishness as this is just between me and Jesus. The devil is a lie. It ain't never been just between you and Jesus. No, God has saved you that he might bless you and bless others through you. So God says, don't fail to come under the covering because when you come under the covering, you're a part of the household of faith. God says, I've got people there who will nurture you and strengthen you and build you up in your walk with me. God says, when you're part of the household of faith, you become a part of those people who then help to provide the 
resources for the moving forward of my kingdom in the world. God says when you become a part of the church, you become a part of that city that sits on a hill. You become a part of being the salt of the earth and the light of the world. There's a reason why we are a part of the family of God. And God says that everybody that tries to come against you, God says I'm going to take care of them because the text says, God says you are the apple of his eye. I'm not making this up. I just read it to you. Those of you who are virtually gone and have a Marvin Gaye spirit, stand up and start hollering because you need to take great joy that God says that anybody that comes against the people who belong to me are going to make a serious mistake because I take care of those who belong to me because they are the apple of my eye. I tell somebody in a minute, you better slow your roll if you decide you're going to come against me because the book says touch not my anointed and do my prophet no harm. And furthermore than that, the Bible says that I am the apple of God's eye. God loves me. God cares about me. I don't, I don't make no apologies when I tell you I'm special to God. And since I'm special to God, then you better think twice before you're going to put your hands on me because God don't like ugly and he'll get you if you mess with his child. The Bible says God tells them, don't worry about your enemies because I got you covered because I'm establishing my glory in my house again. I'm establishing my glory in my city. I'm establishing my glory in Jerusalem. Can there anybody here be appreciative of the glory of God? Because the glory of God has to do with the manifested presence of God. You see, beloved, God is omnipresent. That means he's everywhere at the same time. That means that there is no place where God is not. God's the only one that can be with you in your house, walk with you while you're traveling, and be waiting on you when you get where you're going. That's because he's omnipresent. But the God who is omnipresent everywhere at the same time the God who's omnipresent is not involved in everything you teaching today Walter Malone Jr. the God who's everywhere chooses when he will make himself known now that's the omnipresence of God this is the omnipresence of God but this is the manifested presence of God and God only makes his manifested presence known to those who belong to him he only makes his manifested presence known to those who belong to him he only makes his manifested presence known to those who love him he only makes his manifested presence known to those who will give him the glory who will give him the honor and who will give him the praise I said God God doesn't show up everywhere. He chooses when and where he will show up.
show up. But if you are a person where the glory of God can abide, you ought to praise him like you lost your mind. That means that you ain't got to wait till you get in the sanctuary to experience his glory. That means in your kitchen you can have fellowship with God. In your car you can shout till you get tired. On your job in the cubicle you can break out crying and praising God because the glory of God that is the weight of God the kabod of God can show up anywhere at any time in any moment and then thanks be unto God to be a part of a church where God takes delight and what God says I'm going to let my glory be revealed because I do believe that there are some buildings that got a cross on the top got a marquee out front got a Hammond B organ and a baby grand but God ain't nowhere to be found and I believe that there can be a stoke front church that ain't got but 10 chairs, ain't got nothing but a little piano, ain't got no air condition, and ain't got but about 50 members. But God's all in that place because they're willing to give him the glory, you see. And so you don't take for granted God's glory because his glory means his presence. His presence means his power. His presence his glory means his favor his favor means that he's going to bless you his favor means he can expand you he can exalt you he can lift you he can do miracles through you I don't know about you but I want God's glory that's why when Moses was leading Israel out of Egypt and Israel had disobeyed God and fooled around and made a golden calf while Moses was on Sinai getting the commandments and God says you better get down from him Moses cause these folk done start acting like a fool already we, I, they just got out of Egypt and they done start worshiping a false calf and thinking that this golden calf is the source of their blessing I'm gonna have to destroy them and Moses pleads for Israel's sake to God and says to God don't destroy them because they'll say that you brought them out of Egypt just to destroy them so God says okay I won't destroy Israel Israel, but I tell you what Moses y'all go on to the to, to Canaan but I'm not gonna go with you and Moses says to God oh no 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 God we ain't going nowhere without you if you don't go with us we ain't going because God what made us a peculiar people is because your hand is upon us Moses says to God show me your glory because I don't want to go nowhere God God, where your glory is not going to be manifested and I don't know about you that's my prayer every week I'm saying to God every time we come to church God show me your glory God let your manifested presence be revealed in the service because where the glory of God shows up there's going to be salvation where the glory of God shows up there'll be healing there'll be deliverance there'll be a lifting there'll be strength where the glory glory of God shows up there's going to be a joy that the world didn't give and the world can't take away where the glory of God shows up there's going to be a peace that passeth all understanding I thank God for his glory 
Oh, bless his name. But then let me tell you one other thing. I'm going to have to go a little deep with you now, Joe Lee. I'm going to have to go a little deep. I know what I'm about to say. You're going to text me later, call me, saying, Pastor, now you took me a little deep today. I need a little further explanation. Because when you read this text, God is saying, look at verse, look at verse 10. Sing and rejoice, O daughter of Zion. Behold, I am coming and I will dwell in in your midst. I'm going I'm going to dwell in your midst. When you go back up to around verse uh, uh, 4 and 5 God says that Jerusalem is going to be running over with people and then when you come back down to verse uh, 11 it says many nations shall be joined to the Lord in that day and they shall become my people and I will dwell in your midst now can I break this down like a fraction now understand beloved that the children of Israel are the chosen people of God are y'all listening to me it is Israel that was the chosen people of God I'm not just talking about Israel in biblical days I'm talking about Israel are the chosen people of God even today Israel. God said to Abraham, I will make your name great and I will make you the father of a great nation and through your seed shall all families of the earth be blessed. That covenant was passed on to Isaac and to Jacob. Jacob had 12 sons. They became later formulated as the nation of Israel. The 12 sons of Jacob would make up the 12 tribes of Israel. It was to Israel that God went into covenant with at Mount Sinai and said to them, if you will be my people, I shall be your God and you shall be a holy nation uh, uh, unto me and a kingdom of kingdom of priests and a holy nation. The covenant was made with Israel, with Israel. That God says, I'm choosing you. He did not choose Israel because they were so holy. He did not choose them because they were so large in number. He did not choose them because they were so strong. It was just his providential will to choose Israel to be uh, the chosen people that he called to represent him in the world. Now, uh, I am not uh, Jewish, so that means I can be nothing other than a Gentile. But the promise was first made to the household of Israel, that is, to the Jewish people. So that's one reason why I could never be anti-Semitic because I understand that God made the promise first to the household of Israel. So I walk with my Jewish brothers from Genesis all the way to Malachi. Now, when we get to Malachi, they may stop there and I keep walking. So that's what, that's what makes me a Judeo-Christian. I'm a Judeo-Christian because I don't stop at Malachi. I go on to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and I believe that Jesus Christ has come into the world. I'm not waiting for his first coming. 
I'm waiting for the second coming because God has already made himself known supremely through one person and that is Jesus Christ who was born by a virgin named Mary who walked the dusty streets of Palestine who was crucified on a cross but he wouldn't stay dead buried in another man's tomb got up Sunday morning with all power in his hand has ascended back to glory and now he's got a name that's above every name and what a name that's above every name and one day every knee is going to bow every tongue is going to confess that he is Lord to the glory of God that's why I am a Christian now the promise was made first though to the house of Israel that is to the Jewish people so now when you come to the New Testament and the epistles most of them written by the Apostle Paul then sister Ellis you understand that Paul was Jewish he was Jewish he was of the tribe of Benjamin he had become a part of the Pharisees so he was steeped in the tradition of the law and the Jewish tradition but he had his encounter with Jesus Christ and out of that encounter with Jesus Christ his life was changed so then he believed in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior he goes all over the Mediterranean world all over Asia Minor preaching I know nothing but Jesus Christ and him crucified Paul says that uh, when he writes to the Romans he says I bear them record that they have a zeal a, a zeal but not according to knowledge he says my prayer unto God is that all of Israel would be saved and as you continue to read Paul's letter to the church at Rome, Paul gets rather deep with us because he begins to deal with the idea of the election of God. So he says, Jacob God has loved, but Esau he hated. This has to do with God's election. Now God's election is always held in tension with the free will of mankind. That is, God chooses, but I still have a choice. I said God chooses, but I still have a choice. So now when you get to Romans, and if you turn your Bibles very quickly to Romans chapter 11. Now, in Romans chapter 10, Paul talks about Israel's needs, need for the gospel. Then he talks, goes on to talk about how Israel rejects the gospel. And, uh, and then he goes and starts in chapter 11, that Israel's rejection is not going to be total. Or he goes on to say that Israel's rejection is not final. Uh, so look at chapter 11, beginning with verse 13. For I speak to you Gentiles, that's you and I, because we're not Jewish. Inasmuch as I am an apostle to the Gentiles, I magnify my ministry if by any means I may provoke to jealousy those who are my flesh and save some of them. Paul says Peter was called to be an apostle to the Jews. But I was called to be an apostle to the Gentiles. But if I save you Gentiles and it provokes my own people who are Jewish, who are of the nation of Israel to get saved, then to God be the glory. Look at verse 16. For if the first fruit is holy, 
It's talking about the nation of Israel. The lump is also holy. That would be Gentiles. And if the root is holy, so are the branches. And if some of the branches were broken off, and you, that is talking about those Israels who would not believe in Jesus, and you being a wild olive tree, that is, as Gentiles, we were not a part of the original tree. We were not a part of the original promise because the promise was first made to Israel. And you being a wild olive tree were grafted in among them and with them became a partaker of the root and fatness of the olive tree. Do not boast against the branches, but if you do boast, remember that you do not support the root, but the root supports you. The promise was first made to the house of Israel. Those of you who are gardeners, it's like having uh, a tree, some type of tree, bush, and you take another limb that wasn't a part of that tree or that bush and you attach it to the tree and you wrap it with special wrapping until it weaves in and becomes a part of the tree. Paul said that's, that's what God did for us who were Gentiles. We were not a part of the original promise, but God, as it were, spiritually, he grafted us in and made us a part. Are you listening? Go down to verse 24. For if you were cut out of the olive tree, which is wild by nature, and were grafted contrary to nature into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will these who are natural branches be grafted into their own olive tree? Paul says, if you were not a part of the tree original, and God can graft you in, then even those who are part of the Jewish nation, the house of Israel, who are broken off, who have not believed in Christ, how much more if they are part of the natural tree can God graft them back in? If God can save me as a Gentile, he can surely save a person who is Jewish because the promise was first made to the Jewish people, to the house of Israel. Verse 29 says, for the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. That's shouting news. For the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. It cannot be taken back. <laughs> Ooh, when that hits you right, I hope you ain't driving. And what Paul is saying and what he's revealing about what God is telling us is so weighty. It is so deep that in verse 33, Paul says, Oh, the depths of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. The late Dr. Gardner Calvin Taylor said this word oh he says it says so little but it says so much Gardner Taylor said this is where the logic of language breaks down and the grammar of grace picks up the pen 
and rights across the script of time. There's some things that only God can say, and he says it so well, and we receive it by faith. For who has known the mind of the Lord, or who has become his counselor, or who has first given to him, and it shall be repaid to him? For of him, and through him, and to him, all things to whom be glory forever, amen. For of him, God's the one who made it happen. And through him, God is the one that gave his sons as the means of it happening. And to him, it is all for his glory, all things. So that when God talks to Zechariah about the restoration of Jerusalem and the rebuilding of the temple, and that I will dwell in my city. Understand, beloved, that that is a prophetic utterance of Zechariah. Keep in mind, I told you that Zechariah is a book that talks about a twofold revelation. One, it speaks of the historical context of what happened in that present day, but the other side of the revelation is it talks about a coming Messiah and a fulfillment and a fullness of the kingdom of God that will come into complete fruition one day. So that on one hand, the city of Jerusalem was rebuilt and the temple was rebuilt. That historical city and that temple in Zechariah's day, the one that Jesus would walk to on his way to Calvary. But on the other hand, this Jerusalem that Zechariah received as a, as a revelation from God is speaking to us about the new Jerusalem. The new Jerusalem, the city of God, whose builder and maker is God. Not, not, not something made with the hands of man, but the new Jerusalem is that city of God. The new Jerusalem is, is Zion. The new Jerusalem is heaven. That's the new Jerusalem. And Babylon, which represents the ways of the world, is going to ultimately be destroyed. In Genesis chapter 11, you read about the Tower of Babel, of, of Babel. That's the beginning of Babylon. And then you read about Babylon that took Israel into captivity. And then you turn to Revelations chapter 18. And it'll speak about Babylon being destroyed. Well, Babylon represents the world. It represents a mindset. It represents the kingdom of darkness that is totally in conflict with God. But that Babylon is going to be destroyed. The devil has already been defeated. And one day, he, every demonic force, and every person that is of his mindset are going to be cast into a lake of fire. But the kingdom of God has been and is being completely established. And one day, we're going to worship God in the new Jerusalem, world without end. Every day going to be like Sunday, and sweet Sabbath will have no end. The wicked going to see some troubling, and the weary are going to be at rest. I don't know about you. Sister White, I'm glad that I'm a part of God, and I'm glad that one day my feet are going to strike that city, the new Jerusalem, the holy city of God. The people represent the church no matter where we are. So stay connected and reach others as we grow in Christ.